grace and mercy to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. We'll be preaching from the Gospel reading today, especially focusing on Jesus' story of the Good Samaritan. I'll read to you again just one verse from a different translation. But a Samaritan, whilst travelling, came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with compassion. Lord Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on us sinners. Amen. As you hear this very well-known story of the Good Samaritan, with whom do you identify? Where do you find yourself in this story? Notice that like other of Jesus' parables and teachings, he tells this to a particular person with a particular issue. And so it seems to me that he wants this man, and by extension all of us, to find ourselves somewhere in this story. So where are you in this story? Perhaps whether we like to admit it or not, we identify fairly easily with the priest and the Levite. Do you cringe inwardly as you identify with those who pass by on the other side of the road? Or are you inspired by the example of the Samaritan in showing compassion and mercy to the one in need? Are there other options? As we consider this today, the theme that we'll work with is costly compassion. Costly compassion. And first we'll see the example of avoiding the cost of compassion. Second, we'll see the example of embracing the cost of compassion. And finally, we'll see what it is to receive the costly compassion. So first, avoiding the cost. This is where we look at the priests and the Levites. So who were these guys? The priests, of course, were those who served in the temple in Jerusalem. And the Levites were one of the twelve tribes of Israel. And the way it works is that all priests are Levites, but not all Levites are priests. So the priests come from the tribe of Levi, and the other Levites are sort of like assistants at the temple to the priests. So I said to some people during the week at Bible studies that as you hear of a priest and a Levite walking by, you could think of this as your senior pastor Fraser Pierce first walking by. And then your associate pastor, Joshua Pfeiffer, secondly walking by. You could even think of this as the naive associate pastor learning bad habits from the experienced senior pastor. Now when you do think of it like that, it is all the more striking. Because here are these guys in Jesus' story who are responsible for administering the mercy of God among his people at the temple and yet a situation of real need arises right in front of them and they do not show mercy and compassion. Why? Why is it that they passed by on the other side? Jesus doesn't give us an answer to that in the story itself, does he? It's worth thinking about. It's worth thinking about why it is that you sometimes cross the street to avoid someone or some situation because we've all done that, haven't we? There can be good reasons for doing that but there can be 
less noble ones as well. Sometimes I think it's sort of out of sight, out of mind, isn't it? Out of sight, out of heart. We know if we get too close, it will do something to us. Certainly for these guys in the story, we can imagine that in one way or another, the priest and the Levite were concerned about the cost of compassion and wanting to avoid that cost, therefore. Imagine, for example, that the guys who mugged the first man are still around somewhere. They're hiding behind rocks. I remember travelling to one place in the world where this sort of thing still happens to this day. They warn unsuspecting tourists not to stop when you see a car crash in a rural area because it might be a scam, a fake car crash where they then mug you. This sort of thing happens. There's a cost to their safety perhaps. Maybe they were just too busy. That's another reason most of you can identify with. Perhaps the priest and the Levite had genuine obligations and commitments they were on their way to and they realised that to show compassion in this situation would mean a cost to their time. There's all sorts of other possibilities, including the common observation that if this man were actually dead, perhaps this would create problems of uncleanness ritually for their work at the temple. And there really are endless reasons we could find, aren't there, for avoiding the cost of compassion. I find in modern times and in my own life that we can be even more clever about avoiding the cost. Because what I think modern people can be quite good at is managing to come across as compassionate people without actually having to do very much practically and concretely. So we can say all the right things and sign up for all the right causes without actually getting our hands dirty, without actually needing to show mercy and compassion to a real person right in front of us. I read a book recently that got me thinking more about this. There's actually one Pastor Fraser recommended, which traces the lives of some very famous people through history. And these were the sort of people that advocated for great social change, who wrote books about how to bring about significant change to help people to raise living standards, to educate the young, all sorts of things, improving working conditions. But the book traces through a rather surprising theme amongst these particular individuals it was discussing, which is that many who advocated publicly for great social change and helping people in need could be pretty nasty to those they actually lived with. It's a funny dynamic that when you look at the evidence, their private lives were often a bit of a mess and they made life miserable for their family and friends. And so there's this quote which you can find in numerous versions from different sources that sort of comes out of this dynamic that it is much easier to love humanity than it is to love a human being. To tie this into our theme for today, we could say, you can love humanity as an abstract concept 
without incurring much of a cost. But you cannot show true compassion for another human being in front of you without some cost. That's the priest and the Levite, avoiding the cost of compassion. Next, though, let's consider the figure we would most like to identify with, the Samaritan. This is the one who embraces the cost of compassion. And notice how this really is emphasised in the text, the cost to this figure in the story. So first he bandages the man's wounds. He pours on oil and wine. There's this act of tenderly caring for the man, perhaps disinfecting his wounds and soothing his skin. And presumably these materials come at a cost. He puts the man on his own animal, it says, and finds his way to an inn. Now, who knows how far this was. He gives up his comfort. He gives up his time. I guess he's walking alongside the animal as the mugged man is slumped on the, on the animal. There's a cost there. He gets to the inn and now there's a literal monetary cost. He pays two denarii for this guy to be taken care of. But more amazing than that, he effectively sets up a tab, doesn't he? He says, I'll pay whatever is needed when I return. There's a cost here. The Samaritan is moved with compassion, but it's not just a feeling. True compassion is shown in action. And the action has a cost. When people and situations of need come across our path, we often feel like we want to help, but one thing that can stop us is this intuition that if we get involved, it's probably not going to be smooth. It might, in fact, be a bit messy. It might end up being a bit costly. And Jesus' parable here would seem to say to us, yes, you are right, and that's just the way it is. Compassion has a cost. Another interesting part of this point is what you could call the communal nature of this cost. Because notice how the innkeeper, he sort of gets drawn into this whether he likes it or not. There's something about compassion and mercy which by its very nature involves the community roundabout. Whether it's a church, whether it's a family. This communal sense of compassion and mercy is worth thinking about. It reminded me of an article that I read many years ago and I looked up and reread this week and the article has the very provocative title I want to burden my loved ones. I want to burden my loved ones. That's what it's called. It's by a Lutheran pastor. And he's writing in the area of medical ethics. And he's picking up, of course, on the common sentiment, I don't want to be a burden to my loved ones. This is something that we hear often. Perhaps it's something that you've said or at least thought. Now, he acknowledges in the article, of course, there's often a good impulse behind that sentiment. We love 
our family. We don't want to be a burden to them unnecessarily. But the basic point that he's trying to make is that if you really want to remove all burdens from a human relationship, ultimately you make that relationship impossible. Ultimately, you rob people of some of the depth and the wonder of being in relationship in a community. Just let me read a few lines of what he writes. He speaks about it in the context of family, but you could imagine this just as much in a congregation. Is this not in large measure what it means to belong to a family, to burden each other? And to find almost miraculously that others are willing, even happy, to carry such burdens. Families would not have the significance they do for us if they did not in fact give us a claim upon each other. At least in this sphere of life, we do not come together as autonomous individuals freely contracting with each other. We simply find ourselves thrown together and asked to share the burdens of life while learning to care for each other. Later on, he writes imaginatively of when he will one day die. And he considers what it would mean for his wife to have to care for him. And he finishes in this way, saying, Mystery and continuous miracle that it is. She loves me. And because she loves me, I must be a burden to her. True compassion, true mercy and love has a cost. And it draws us in deeper to these human relationships. The innkeeper carried some of the burden. He carried some of the cost. He became involved whether he liked it or not and maybe it was good for him. So there's the Samaritan embracing the cost of compassion. Then we move to our last point for today, which is to consider receiving the costly compassion. So let me ask you again, where do you find yourself in this story? Let me ask it now a different way. What about for the lawyer who first came to Jesus? Where is he meant to find himself in the story? Remember who came to Jesus, this lawyer. Remember how he came, wanting to test Jesus, wanting to justify himself and asking, who is my neighbour? What if he, what if you, are also meant to consider that you are in fact not primarily in the priest, the Levite or the Samaritan, but in the man who fell into the hands of robbers, who was stripped, beaten and left half dead. If you can find yourself in that person, there is good news here because there is compassion for you. Have you ever wondered why it is that the Samaritan is the hero of this story? Many of you know how from the Gospels there's this immense hostility between the Jews and the Samaritans. 
You hear this in the Gospels themselves and James and John want Jesus to bring down fire from heaven on them and vaporise their village. And so the presence of a Samaritan in this story would be quite shocking. Even if it were only about loving one's enemies, which it partly is. But again, notice something strange here. Jesus does not say that the Samaritan is left half dead by the side of the road and a Jewish guy comes and helps him. He says the Samaritan is the one who shows mercy. What's going on there? What if Jesus is pointing us in the following direction? What if he's getting us to consider that if you find yourself in the one who fell into the hands of robbers, there is compassion and mercy for you from someone unexpected, from someone even despised. We're told this Samaritan has compassion and later the lawyer says that he showed mercy And if you trace these words through the Gospels, you find they are God's words. God is the one who visits his people to show mercy. Jesus is the one who has compassion on sinners. So that, dear friends, if you find yourself in this man who fell into the hands of robbers, there is good news, which is that before you go and be a neighbour, Jesus Christ becomes your neighbour. Before you can follow the example of the good Samaritan, Christ Jesus has become your good Samaritan. Before you can show compassion and mercy to the one in need, God has shown that compassion and mercy to you in your need. Because apart from Christ. Left in our sins, our spiritual condition is as one good as dead. Helpless, in desperate need. And yet we know that in Christ Jesus, the God of mercy and compassion has drawn near to us. He has not passed by on the other side. He has come to heal you, to bind up your wounds, to carry you home. But compassion has a cost. And that's why in our catechism, many of us learnt these beautiful words. I believe that Jesus Christ is my Lord who has redeemed me a lost and condemned person, purchased and won me from all sins, from death and from the power of the devil, not with gold or silver, but with his holy precious blood and with his innocent suffering and death. That's the cost and he paid it for you. And that compassion and that mercy is here for you again this day as he draws near to you in his body and blood, in bread and wine. So where are you in this story? Let us not be like the priest and the Levite avoiding the cost of compassion. As God brings people across our paths, we can embrace the cost of true compassion, 
but you will only ever be able to do that as you first receive the costly compassion from God in your Lord Jesus. God grant it to us for Jesus' sake. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.